Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, uh, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello there. Welcome to session 130 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having a wonderful summer. It has been unusually cool here in Philly. It's definitely not August weather. I don't know. I feel like literally every week there is about two days worth of rain and I will take the cooler temperatures growing up in Texas. And now living in Philly, I'm quickly realizing that I am definitely a person of more temperate weather. But wherever you are, I hope that you've just had a, a wonderful summer and that you're doing well. And I hope that your practices are going well. I know that these summer months can be difficult, especially a little bit of clients going on vacation and all of those things. And I want you to know that, you know, we're with you and that more than anything, not just a, you know, hang in there, but, you know, I know that practice, private practice is not easy. And I hope that the podcast encourages you and continues to motivate you. Today's podcast conversation is a topic that I have thought a lot about and that I continue to think a lot about, which is email correspondence and more specifically, talking with clients over email. Can you do it? And if so, what are the parameters that you should follow? How do you do it in a way that's secure? And all of those things. And I was trying to figure out a guest. And then I realized there's actually a company that works with a lot of our colleagues. And that company is Hushmail. And my guest today is Annabelle Fernandez from Hushmail. And we're just going to dive really deep into the world of email HIPAA compliance, BAAs, a bunch of terms that often confuse me. And, you know, just having recorded this interview, Annabelle just explains all of these things in a way that's super easy to understand. And we're going to wait and I hope that you'll enjoy it. The session we're just talking a lot about, more specifically also about how do you or how do we create, how do we keep our email secure, especially when it comes to corresponding with clients. Before we get to today's podcast session, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the folks over at Theranest for supporting today's podcast session and this month's podcast sessions. Theranest is a electronic record company. They're used by thousands of our colleagues each month. They have a really awesome reputation in the field. And one thing I actually just wanted to point you guys to is they actually have an app for both Apple devices and Android devices. So it allows you to literally manage your practice on your phone. So you can see things like your scheduled appointments and all of those different things. 
You can learn more about Theranest over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Theranest, and that gives you 21 days absolutely free and then 20% off the first couple of months. So we'll get right to today's conversation. So here's my conversation with Annabelle Fernandez from Hushmail.com. Hi, Annabelle. Welcome to Selling the Couch. Hi, Melvin. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. No, it's so good to connect with you. We were talking a little before we recorded. Uh, I'm kind of jealous you live in Vancouver. <laughs> this is like one of my top three places, but I'm excited for our conversation because I know there's a lot of just fear and uncertainty. And I think in, in many ways, I know for me, like there's lack of like knowledge and education around email and corresponding with clients over email. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. Oh, me too. This is very exciting for us to like any opportunity we have to explain to our customers what they should be doing and what they shouldn't. It's, it's a great opportunity for us. No, absolutely. I mean, I feel like especially in this day and age as technology, I feel like in many ways it just evolves by the second. And I think it's always just good to think through things and to, and to be thoughtful. The first question is, and the only reason I'm asking this question is because I feel like there's still so much confusion around this, but what exactly is HIPAA? Okay, so HIPAA is a, actually it stands for Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. And this is federal regulations in the U.S. that impose restrictions on practitioners, requiring them that they take certain steps to protect all the confidentiality of their patients' health records and sensitive information. Got it. And you said this is just in the U.S.? Correct. Yeah, HIPAA is U.S. However, it has such stringent rules that it pretty much, if you're HIPAA compliant, you are compliant with a lot of regulations elsewhere. So being using a product that helps you ensure your HIPAA compliance, you're probably complying with other laws as well. Right. So it's almost like even if you don't live in the U.S., it's almost like if you use HIPAA as the barometer, then you're, you're likely at least. Yeah. So there's this often this term that's connected with HIPAA, which is especially when we think about, you know, using other service providers and all of these things. And that's this term BAA, right, the acronym. And so what exactly is BAA? Before I get into that, I think we need to make a little background information here because with HIPAA, the person who is required to comply with HIPAA is the technical term is covered entity, but the covered entities are health plans, healthcare providers who transmit electronically healthcare information. So you're a psychologist, you have your solo practice, you're a healthcare provider who's communicating electronically, and you have to comply with HIPAA. However, HIPAA says that you have to implement safeguards to protect such health information. But it's absolutely fine to give that responsibility to a third party to, for example, Hushmail, to safeguard that patient information that you're receiving and, and maintaining. So that third party becomes your business associate. And the thing is, to be HIPAA compliant, you have to have this 
legal agreement, which is the Business Associate Agreement, which is BAA, um, which makes your that third party you're outsourcing that protection of healthcare information. It makes them liable as well as you for any potential breaches that might happen. So that's why it's really important that if you are using that third party provider, that you have the legal BAA in place so that you are actually complying with HIPAA. Because if you don't cover yourself in that way and something happens with that third provider, they will not be liable. You will be. Oh, I mean, the way you just explained it, like, makes so much sense. So you said, like, several things, I think, that were just so valuable. So first thing I sort of picked up on is that HIPAA compliance, right? Like, I guess for me as a clinician, I'm a psychologist. So like, I am technically a covered entity, right? Because I'm, I'm the clinician, but this could also be, for example, like if I take insurance, right? And so those insurance companies are also covered entities as well, right? But this sort of, there are third parties who can support us pertaining to HIPAA compliance. And so we sign this agreement with them called the BAA. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Okay. Awesome. It's so funny. You actually said you said that so well, because to be honest, like I've actually confused these terms as well. I'm like, hold on. Let me look that up real quick. But uh, thank you for explaining that so well. So I guess the, the question is, we're talking today all about just email. And what does HIPAA actually require for a private practitioner when it comes to email and email correspondence? That's why it gets so confusing, you see, because HIPAA says that the cover entities, like we just mentioned, is the healthcare providers, they are required to implement technical safeguards for the electronic protected health information. However, they don't specify exactly what safeguards are required. Right. It's almost like that right? term that well, that term is like you're like technical safeguards. That sounds really fancy, but what exactly does it mean? Right. Yeah, so the only thing they say is that you must ensure that you have the confidentiality, integrity, and all the availability of these protected health information. So they don't say specifically you need to do encryption, but they do say you are required to implement technical safeguards to make sure this is protected. So one such safeguard you can have is email encryption. For example, right, when you're transmitting electronic information, then you can add that extra layer of security by using encryption. But they don't have a list, you know, like a checklist where you go, okay, you use email encryption and you do this and this and this. It just, it's big. That's why it's so confusing. But the safer, it, like the more steps you take towards implementing those safe words, the safer it will be. So if you're making sure you're encrypted and you're making sure you're doing all those steps, then you're pretty much complying with HIPAA. You Got know it. what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. So like, it sounds like the sort of act, well, yeah, constantly being active in putting some of these safeguards in place, especially when it comes to email is, is kind of the wise thing to do. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so you used a term and I just wanted to make sure like we define that because I know that 
sometimes, you know, terms get thrown around and sometimes even me, I'm like, oh, what does that mean? But uh, you said email encryption. So what, you know, like, I guess if I'm, and this might be a really silly example, uh, maybe it's not, but like, okay, I'm on Gmail, right? And I talk to my friends, right? And I send them a quick email, right? Now, is that encrypted or no? Okay, I'll explain first what email encryption is. Email encryption is a method of scrambling a message so that it's unreadable to anyone who cannot access the key to unscramble it. So it provides protection if the message gets in the wrong hands. So like, I guess an example would be like if it's sent to a wrong email or if somebody like hacks something and accesses that email correspondence. Yeah, so the perfect analogy is in the mail, you can send a postcard and a postcard is clear text. That's just like regular email. When you don't have any encryption, you have simple clear text that it's transmitted in clear text as it goes. And if anyone were to intercept that message, it would be perfectly readable to everybody because, you know, you have the postcard, there's no envelope, you can turn it around, read the message, and that's it. The analogy with the encryption for the encryption would be you put that into an envelope. So it's in transit and you cannot read it unless you have the key to open that envelope. Got it. Okay, so it's this other sort of layer of protection to that email correspondence. Correct. Okay. And I guess going back to that, so how is an encrypted email then different than something we just send via regular email? Okay, so standard email is just transmitted in simple text without using any form of encryption. So it's not scrambled in any way. And if someone were to intercept that message or were to be sent to the wrong recipient, then it's perfectly readable. And the reality is that if you're sending email without encryption, it could potentially be monitored or logged or analyzed by other parties, right? You'd never know. Um, secure email, on the other hand, it's, it's like locking the message in a safe and then shipping it. So then, you know, you trust the safe. So you don't no longer have to trust the people that are moving the safe. <laughs> because you have the key. Yes. So um, that's how, how encryption works. It really does add that extra layer of security. Right. No, it's just a great, great image, I think, of of how it sort of works. I guess the second part of, I think, email correspondence, right? So I know that a lot of our licenses, a lot of states have requirements around some kind of retention of clinical records, right? So even email correspondence. So I've heard this term email archiving. I think I know what it is, but what exactly is it? Well, as you said, there's some confusion in this topic because there's a lot of different rules about what you're required to retain as protected health information and other records related to your procedures. So HIPAA actually does have retention requirements around your compliance and privacy policies. But also states have different regulations where they say you have to keep medical records for a certain number of years. Like it varies by state. There's other government bodies that require these, like health plans or state laws, right? So email archiving is that record of everything you've sent electronically um, that is kept 
even if you delete an email, it will be in your archive because it must be retained for a certain number of years according to which state and law and compliance you're doing. I guess this is a silly question, but it sounds like that email correspondence is considered part of the medical record. Oh, absolutely. If you were sending sensitive patient protected health information, you have to retain it for a certain period of time. So if you have an archive, it will keep that record. And not only that, in the archive is quite valuable in the event of an audit. Say you were to have a HIPAA audit and you have to demonstrate that you have kept all this protected health information, or say if you have a breach and then you have to prove that you did all the safeguards to protect that information and then you go to your record and you can show that you sent that encrypted or whatnot. So in the event of an audit, it's really valuable to have all that record of everything you've sent through email if it's protected health information. That's interesting. I wanted to just shift a little bit and like get now, you know, I feel like we've defined things, but let's talk a little bit more just about the practical side. I was wondering if you could just share a couple of tips with us to make sure that the emails that we send, the email correspondence we have, that's secure and that we are complying with these rules and regulations. Well, first of all, I would say use a secure email service. Make sure you're not just sending standard regular email, but actually having that extra layer of protection when you're sending an email is a great safeguard. But not only that, make sure you're using it correctly. You have to know when you're sending an encrypted email or where you're not. You have to take the time to get to know how the software works, both from the sending and the receiving side. Just make sure you read the documentation or you get a support representative to walk you through how to properly send an email. That would be, of course, one of the first. But there's other things you can do. You can ensure that you're sending to the right recipient, for example. You know how you start typing an email and then you have the autocomplete? Yes. And then... You might have two John Smiths in there. And so always double check that the email address you're sending is the right one. Like you can use email addresses from a curated address book or, you know, don't immediately trust an email that comes from a certain person if you haven't corresponded with them before. Because anyone can send an email and say, oh, hey, it's Melvin. Can you send me my security number? Well, I haven't talk to you first. I don't know if that's your real email address. Is it really this email address from Melbourne, right? Always keep the sensitive content within the body of the message or the attachments, because a lot of the times the encryption is not applied to subject lines, for example. So don't say, oh, I'm going to send this very sensitive information. And the subject line is, here's your Passport number one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> right. Which, because I mean, the subject line will not be encrypted. Huh. Which, I mean, I, I know we're like, we're laughing at it, but like, I feel like that happens, right? Because people are just, you know, will write the body and then they'll attach something and then it'll say, you know, I don't know, like your passport or something or something quick, you know, so people can. Mm-hmm. I guess that out of the things that you've shared so far, I think sort of the big thing I'm taking away is always take a step back and pause before Mm -hmm. you like, (laughs) before you just kind of 
I guess, follow most the standard things that most of us do when it comes to email when we're talking with friends, for example. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, that moment to pause where you confirm everything is fine. You're sending it to the right person. You're not putting sensitive information where you're not supposed to. You're encrypting. That will save you a lot of headaches later on. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Any other good tips for us? Yeah, no, that's basically, I think it's just learning what are the best practices for you. I mean, I don't know, like, for example, when I was saying about emailing the right person, I don't know if it works better for you to have them in a contact list or on your patient files. It's just like working out what's the best secure method to confirm that you're doing the right thing. But um, yeah. You know, I like what you just said, because I think it almost sounds like overabundance of caution, but almost assume that every email correspondence, even if you've talked with that person, like pretend like that's the first correspondence you're having with them. So That's right. Yeah. Right. So you're doing all those little extra checks. You said also something which I was, again, not to like put you on spot or anything, but like you said, the body of an email is secure. The attachments are also secure. So I guess, does the attachments get encrypted using these programs as well? Yes, correct. Yeah. So the, typically, well, at least in, in Hushmail, that's how it works. But you would have the body of the message and the attachment encrypted. But for example, not the subject line or the recipient list, for example. Got right. It. Those are things to keep in mind. That's why I said to start using a secure email service. But not only that, make sure you're using it correctly. So make sure that you know this is the case, right? You know that subject lines are not encrypted. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just my last question is I've heard so many actually just good things about Hushmail. I know Roy Huggins and Rob Reinhardt, they're big fans of y'all and I'm big fans of them and I, I really do trust them. And I've heard just great things about you guys. So tell us a little bit more about Hushmail and, and the service that you guys provide for our field. Absolutely. Well, Hushmail is one such secure email service provider. <laughs> so what we do is we're just like your regular current email service. Like you read email, you compose email, you receive email. But the thing is, we've added those extra security features to keep all your data safe. So you can add encryption when you need it. You can. And of course, security is part of what we leave and breathe every day at work. Like we're our security doesn't stop with the encryption, but we have other security features like two step verification and we make sure we are looking out for viruses, we make sure we're removing spam, we make sure we stop phishing emails. Like there's there's not only the encryption, but it's like we leave and breathe security. Right. Um, so for healthcare practitioners, it's a really simple way of just having that safeguard that you need for the HIPAA compliance. It's just like a way that, you know, you can add encryption to your emails. No, it's going to be protected on the way. No, it's not going to be intercepted and read by someone who's not supposed to and got into the wrong hands. So we're providing that peace of mind that when you're transmitting information is safe as long as you're adding the encryption. Um, we also, as we discussed first about the HIPAA, we, we will also provide a BAA if you need that for HIPAA compliance. So we are a business associate that you can trust and we do sign that agreement that, that makes us 
also liable for your information. We provide that email archive we were talking about where everything you send will be kept on record and you will have that record in case of an audit just to comply with your state regulations, et cetera, et cetera. Right? I think one of the things that I like about you guys and I just love about companies like that just focus on one thing, right? And they just try to do that really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and I feel like, I don't know, as you were talking, I just thought about that. So Annabelle, I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful that we were able to connect. And it sounds like the best place where folks can learn about Hushmail is uh, hushmail.com, right? That's correct. Yes. Awesome. Have a great rest of your day. And thank you so much for uh, sharing and just enlightening us more about email and navigating this whole online world of email correspondence. Oh, on the country. Thanks for having us. It was great. Hi there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Annabelle talking all about email and thinking about some of the ways that we need to uh, be secure, especially when we correspond with our clients over email. A couple of things that really stood out to me. One was uh, that, I don't know exactly, I guess I, I was still kind of curious about email, but one of the things that stood out to me is that it's um, it's okay to correspond with clients over email. It's just that we need to have certain s- safeguards in place with regard to encryption and all of those different things. The other thing that stood out to me is uh, just the power of taking a pause, especially when we consider and when we're thinking about corresponding with clients over email. The pause for the reason of just double checking, making sure it's the right email, making sure that this is the person that we actually want to communicate with, all of those different things. And just taking that little subtle break, I know that it can feel a little bit difficult sometimes, especially when we're scrambling between sessions and and writing case notes or things like that. But uh, just taking that extra pause is just so key. And I don't know, like, I truly feel like Sometimes it's in these small spaces that um, these sort of like ethical or these breaches can definitely occur. Show notes to today's episode can be found at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 130. The team over at Hushmail actually hooked our community up with uh, just a special offer for us. The team over at Hushmail wanted to create something special for us. And you can find that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash hushmail. As we wrap up again, wanted to thank the folks over at Theranest for supporting this month's podcast episodes and today's podcast session. Theranest is electronic health records that's used by lots of our colleagues. And one of my most favorite features of Theranest is actually the fact that you pay only one flat cost regardless of how many user accounts you have. So no matter the size of your practice, whether you're a solo practitioner or you're adding clinicians, whether you've got additional billers or staff, you don't pay any additional charges for that. And you can upgrade and add as you start to build out your practice. You can learn more about the wonderful services that Theranest provides at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Theranest. And again, that gives you a 21-day free trial and then 20% off the first three months. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and I'm so grateful for you. Take good care. Bye. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business, just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.